You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben. Chad. Growl. Growl? That's a line from the movie we just watched. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. You didn't, you, know, say, you didn't say it quite... Um, with a British accent? and I was going to say foppish break. enough, but... Foppish, yeah. <laughs> Growl. Oh, oh, my God. This was... Uh, this was a movie. I've seen this movie probably like six or seven times because uh, my brother, I don't want to say loves this movie or even really likes it, but he'll watch it and it's fun to make fun of. This time watching it, I watched it by myself. There's a lot of problems that I didn't notice when you're just making fun of a movie. (laughs) When you're actually just watching it, you sort of are like, "Uh uh-oh. Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation then because I've never seen it. Not not even a clip or a trailer. Really? Uh, I've just heard... this, This to me has been like the like the malort of movies are you familiar with malort no i don't think so it's an aggressively uh notoriously bitter uh horrible alcohol that's sold almost exclusively in chicago and people like essentially haze each other by making them drink it when they're here visiting or in chicago at any point at what point did a person i know does not drink think he would ask me another person who doesn't drink if he knows about an alcohol <laughs> that's, a fair point. that's, that's <laughs> native only to a city he knows i don't live in <laughs> we need to have like a teetotal podcast uh, yeah where we just talk about how we enjoy water alternatives to, <laughs> to alcohol anyway Malort is notoriously bad i mean people take photos of their friends drinking it for the first time others learn to like it in either case i was told through many legends that it was the worst thing and i had a shot of it on my at my bachelor party because it felt appropriate and uh it was oversold it was just sort of not great you know what i mean are we talking about the movie or the alcohol now both okay both because i watched this movie expecting a garbage slide into additional garbage you understand what i mean yeah yeah the worst and it was just sort of a bad paced uh, under edited like action movie like it wasn't yeah I, I think the problem is is uh anyone who saw it who had read the comic is gonna say oh. it's the worst because it has nothing to do with the comic almost mm-hmm. and i think that, that's, that's why true. i think that's why people are like it's the worst because it has like so little to do with the story it's based on but, but it's it's just just not a great movie i mean that's yeah. it. it it's not it's not laughable it's not like the worst thing where you're like oh my god this is you know it's not virus Right. It would probably fall dead middle in the movies we watch. It felt like a clumsy Hellboy. Film. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, there's definitely some issues, and there's definitely it's there's some laughable parts to it, and it's I mean the ridiculousness of like them owning like a Rolls Royce or some shit, like just the stupid I, shit like designed by whoever designed all the animals in Avatar because it just has an extra set of wheels for no reason. Yep. But yeah, there's just like I don't know it. It's like, such well, a long movie, but after it's done, you're just like, there's nothing there. No, no, it, and it's almost hard to recall everything that happens in it, because like I said, it's badly paced and it bad. Yeah, this will be interesting, because as our listeners know, we did not record last week due to uh, just a mix-up and sort of a, a miscommunication. But I had watched the movie not realizing we weren't going to record, and I did not go back and watch it again, because, you know, that would just be horrible so uh, we're gonna see how much of it i can remember yeah, <laughs> either 
let's round it up for the listener because I think there's a lot of people out there that are like me and haven't watched this movie. So to get you clued in to where we are, this is a 110 minute adaptation of an Alan Moore, uh, excuse me, failed adaptation of an Alan Moore comic. It Probably one of the worst adaptions of an Alan Moore comic, and I'm including the Johnny Depp from Hell. Uh, would you also include uh, uh, V for Vendetta? Well, V for Vendetta, I don't think is a bad adaption. It's not like a faithful adaption, but I think it's an okay. I mean, it's another movie that's paced not well. Yeah, that's fair enough. But um, but to catch you up, uh, it takes what is a story about a number of famous uh, literary characters, mostly British because it's Alan Moore. Um, Actually, all British in the comics. There's no there's all no British. American characters. Uh, the film, uh, it chooses a whole new array of characters for some reason. Just includes two additional characters for no reason. Yeah. One of which, which is a grown-up Tom Sawyer who's a police officer, question mark? <laughs> Before you get too surprised by all that, uh, that's actually not far off. Um, uh, uh, Tom Sawyer went on to, to actually, or Tom Sawyer's character went on to be in uh, other other uh, adult, like books where he was an adult, and, like, solving crimes. like Yeah, just... yeah. It's just sort of, like, a weird... Like, they don't necessarily explain in the movie. He's just like, I'm Tom Sawyer. I work for the American Justice Department. Or he just says something where you're just like, wait, what? And then they just never bring it up again. It's okay. just like, they're like, that explained it. We don't need to explain it all why this guy's here, how he knows what he knows. Just an American. Quick side note that I picked up on... And watching that is uh is it sounded weird when he said that when he says I you know I'm I'm a member of the American Secret Service and that's because the American Secret Service doesn't call themselves the American Secret Service they call themselves the United States Secret Service do you know why because the acronym is better than ass true <laughs> that would make sense and someone thought of that except that person's not Tom Sawyer anyway um so the movie interjects also what year does this movie take it? place. What's that? What year did this movie take place? Uh, it says 1890-something. Oh, never mind. We're fine. I was going to say, it's like, wait a second. I don't even know if the Secret Service had been invented <laughs> yet. It was invented right after Lincoln's assassination, so it had already been invented. But the movie takes the general concept of the comic of creating a uh, single storyline out of multiple disparate, un- unassociated fictional literary characters and turning them into like an Avengers uh, group of sorts that 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 roams uh, uh, the world saving the day. Um, it's it's aggressively annotated with literary references. Like it's hard to read at some points. The, the comic. I think the the first comic is fine. The the number of references there's there are some bizarre ones. Right. But yeah. the most of the references are just in the background or in dialogue. Later is the as he kept making them, they became to the point where I just couldn't read them anymore because I just was like, I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. He's referencing all these people and I just don't care anymore. And yeah, they, they did become like aggressively tough to read. But the the first book I think is actually not that terrible. Um, but to summarize real quick before we jump in, the characters present in this movie, The League, as as it were, include the main character, Alan Quatermain, who you're familiar as being Sean Connery, who is a literary character of uh, one of the coolest author names, I think, of all the authors combined here. Sounds like he belongs in like ZZ Top with like, a really cool uh, biker gang. His name is H. Ryder Haggard. That's a pretty sweet name, but why did you pick ZZ Top? They're not known for being, like, hardcore. 
I know, but he's got like a beat. I don't know. You just H. Ryder Haggard sounds like the rocks, like the, the stage name of someone in ZZ Top. He's pretty cool. And if you've ever seen, um, what is it, King Solomon's Mine? And is it? Yes. It's not Romancing the Stone. I forget what the other one's called. They've done movie adaptions before where he was played by Richard Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, uh, Captain Nemo is present uh, from Jules Verne. Appears in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and its own works. Uh, Meena Harker from Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Invisible Man from H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man, The Picture of Dorian Gray, Dorian Gray from The Picture of Dorian Gray, which is I have a lot to say about here in a moment. Not <laughs> a fan. And then Tom Sawyer from the aforementioned Tom Sawyer, um, or The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Whatever. I went to school. Well, there's also. <laughs> Uh, the villain in this is oh, right. is Moriarty, the ma- you know the master criminal from the Sherlock Holmes series. Uh, now I will say I, I've read the first, I've read oh, I think actually every League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, even though I find them more and more disappointing. I keep buying them and reading them. <laughs> uh, the first one I thought was great, and one of the things they did in it, which is cool, is um, like when they meet Alan Quartermain. Like, first, they introduce Nemo, and he is like he is still said to be, like, a pirate. And the British government is basically like, if you help the League, we'll not charge you for all the crimes that you did against England. So he gets brought in. Mina Harker is just Mina Harker. She's not, she's not a, you know, it's just the woman from Dracula, and she's sort of the brains. Then Alan Quartermain is an opium addict for, like, he is, like, unable to adjust to his son's death and all this. And so he's an opium addict in the Middle East. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who you forgot to mention in your list. Oh, I did forget them, yeah. Yeah, uh, is living in France after faking his own death. The Invisible Man uh, is not the original Invisible Man, or is the original Invisible Man in the comic book, but not in the movie for some reason. For some inexplicably extra element of plot that isn't necessary. Not at all. And then, like, they all get together, and it's sort of like an interesting story of how they get together, and... Quartermain sort of has the hots for Mina Harker and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of an interesting take on taking sort of these iconic literary characters, especially for England, you know, and, and turning them to be like, oh, Alan Quartermain's now like a drug addict. And Dr. Jekyll has turned into this gigantic monster because of all the drugs he keeps taking. And you're like, oh, that's an interesting sort of story that these people all are like basically monsters now. Uh, this movie, though... Alan Quartermain is just like an action hero who's retired. Mina Harker is, for some reason, a vampire now. Uh, and like a, and like a sexy, like over the top. Yeah, back when for some reason people were just trying so hard to make Peter Wilson a sex symbol. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. know why. Uh, and then you've got like, for some reason, it's not the original Invisible Man, and they don't explain. Like, there's no reason for it. Not, like, like in the comics, he explains that. If you've read the book, there's like an albino he also gives the CERN to, and that's who they kill, and he runs away and hides. In the movie, this guy's just like, I stole it. and you're, But no reason, I mean, it doesn't further the plot for it just not to be the actual Invisible Man. Nope, and uh, and Tom Sawyer just sort of saunters into both the scene and plot and says, I'm here. I don't think that's his actual dialogue line, but that is essentially what happens. It's pretty much like, uh, America's aware something's going on, so <laughs> I'm here. You know, and it's just like, oh, okay, and for some reason Dorian Gray is in this. There's no reason to include him. He wasn't included in the original uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And for some reason, Dorian Gray is always depicted as, like, some sort of weird... They did this in Penny Dreadful, where it's like the idea that he's like a thousand years old for some reason. But that's not in the Dorian Gray book. He's... 
Yeah. <laughs> like for some reason, and, and I don't know if you've seen Penny Dreadful, they imply that he's like been alive for like thousands of years, and it's I was just like, well, who painted the fucking picture then? Yeah, <laughs> you know, a thousand years ago, they weren't really doing a lot of portraits. Yeah, in the actual Dorian Gray book, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, he fails to age for a, a bit. You it's, know, 18, he fails it's 18 years. 18 years, I'm right. a big fan and, of the picture of Dorian Gray. And, and, and it's definitely not about that. Like, it's not like no. a sci-fi novel about... And it's, his... not, it's not implied that, like, uh, if he gets hurt, he can go stand in front of it and he heals. Like, that's the way they're always depicted, is, like, the idea that he can be shot and he can't die, and I'm, I don't get that, because it's not in the play at all, or the no. book. The idea is just that all the evil things he does, it represents his soul, and it becomes this horrible-looking monster to represent how terrible of a person he is. That's yeah, the his, story. <laughs> his, his picture acts as, like, uh, acts as, like, a vessel for all of his sin that, he, that he's too terrified to reflect upon. He's not immortal. He's not... He can't not look at it or he'll die. In not fact, yet, not true at all. In fact, he looks at it multiple times in the book. <laughs> That's how he ends he, up dying in the end as he tries to destroy tries the painting. He stab it and he ends up stabbing his own his own self, which is yeah, it's 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 all about the like a man descending into debauchery, which is making the most bizarre character to whip into this franchise. Yes, like everybody else you're like, "All right, I get Mina Harker, you can set up is to be like in the comics, like I said, she's sort of like the brains of the group and sort of the like the driving force, and it works. In in this in the movie, she's like a chemist for some reason and a vampire. But there's like I don't know. They just tried to actually like they tried to poochie up League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to use a <laughs> Simpsons sort of like everything is like let's make it to the extreme. You know, Captain Nemo has a sports car that he drives around, and uh, you know basically has like a computer and she it's just weird the stuff they included especially because this movie meanders for so long in the middle that you just wonder you're like this is what you chose to keep in so there's no backstory for any of the characters except for each one of them has like a little like um let me give you my backstory so here i was they just like turned to the camera and like deliver a little bit of dialogue yeah they just Expouse their origin story out loud in a boring monologue, each a piece for an hour on a boat. It it will not end somewhere between like the second act. It just won't stop. Yeah, it it there's like a big law before they get to the dumbest action scene of all time in Venice, and like when they initially formed the league. Uh, so let's just go ahead and go into it. Uh, it I will say the plot of the comic is they're trying to steal this thing that can levitate. It's some. It's from some other work of fiction. It might be another Jules Verne story. I forget what the what it's from. But it he Moriarty wants to build a flying like boat that he's going to use to like rain cannon fire down on England. It's a very bizarre story. But the idea is that Moriarty lived through uh, Reichenbach, where uh, Sherlock Holmes and him fought, and he was thrown off the waterfall. Sure. There's no reference in this, really, in the movie, to Sherlock Holmes, so it's weird that they were like, let's make the villain still be Moriarty, but then not really talk about the fact that Sherlock Holmes isn't in this. Because of all the characters just to write in, why not just throw him in, then? Yeah, it seems like he'd be leading this, but I guess that felt too on the nose. But if it did, don't use Moriarty. (laughs) Yeah. It was... You gotta use Dorian Gray. Don't use Moriarty as your main villain. Yeah, exactly. Like, make it a different person. And the plot of this is just 
like it's pretty stupid because the whole plot is Moriarty wants to spark a world war so he can make money by selling stuff. And I think this movie is like 1895 or 1898 or something. And you're like, um, it, it's only like 18 years until World War One actually starts. Yeah, just just. Take so it's not like yeah, it's not like you're like, oh my god, he's gonna start a world war, an event which really happened less than <laughs> you know less than 30 years later. Oh my god, what a monster! Well, my favorite is in the opening montage. It shows um, who uh, the anonymous character who then becomes the second anonymous character who is then revealed to be Moriarty. I just want to be clear. There's two, like, character reveals in this movie that you see coming a mile away. One is that what? the original villain, just called Phantom, with an F, is... Um, what? Yeah, it's, it's F-A-N-T-O-M, Phantom. Ah, the worst. I don't understand. Um, the Phantom is, like, a Dr. Claw, and Glenn Danzig had uh, a baby. Like he, yes. he's got Glenn Danzig hair and a coat that that he'd probably wear, but he's also got like a Doctor Claw kind of glove thing and uh, he, a metal he mask. He looks like if MF Doom was a burn patient. Yeah. Like he has the MF Doom mask, the the hip hop artist. Yes, you're right. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's but that he then takes it off and reveals that both the mask and the burn are fake to reveal that he's actually the character M who is leading the British Secret Service in a, a blatant, I guess, attempt to replicate Bond? Because that's the same... That That's in the comic, isn't they That was supposed to be a, a nod to the James Bond, because the guy who their contact okay. is actually named, like, Campion Bond or something, I think is his name in the comics, and that's that was fine. supposed to be a reference, and that's why they refer to him as M. Um, blah, 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 which is always... yeah. M reveals himself to be terribly... <laughs> hiding himself as just the first letter of his actual name, Moriarty. Also, yeah, it is insane. James, which is like, you're bad at disguises, Moriarty. Oh, the worst part is, his one henchman constantly refers to him by his first name, so much so that I was like, are these guys, like, lovers? Why does he keep calling him James instead of Phantom, Moriarty, Sir? It's yeah. He's the only character in the movie who refers to him by his first name. And they just seem to have such a relationship that I was like, oh, there was an interesting side plot that got cut out. It would be like if in one of the Bond movies, if in Goldfinger, the, his henchmen kept calling him by his, not by Goldfinger, but by like Donald or whatever. Yeah. His name would be, Eugene. You know, Donald Goldfinger. Yeah, so I mean, it is, and it's like the reveal of both M in the beginning when they reveal him is like you're like, oh, it's an actor I don't recognize playing a character I don't know who it is. Like, it was very odd that there's like a reveal of him turning on the lights to show his face, and I assume it was supposed to be like a moment where you're. Ta-ta, but you forgot about this character because M is only in the first act for maybe about I don't know a minute. And he also could not look more like a generic British man. Oh, yeah. There's nothing distinguishing about him at all. He just has black hair and a little pencil mustache. Yeah, and same with um, Sanderson Reed, who is the agent that that, uh, goes out to meet Sean Connery. Yeah, uh, you could be confused and think they were the same person. (laughs) I absolutely did for, like, the whole movie. So when he – when Sanderson Reed later, like, drinks the potion or whatever and becomes invisible, I was like, who's that now? Who's who's I I know who it is less now because he's fucking invisible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a mess. It, it is it is an absolute barrage of 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 dull British white actors that you are supposed to remember and you absolutely will not. 
No, to the point where, like, in the end scene, there were a couple of times they showed people, and I was like, oh, M. I was like, oops, that's not M. They just kept showing people. I was like, is that M? Because they're all vaguely dressed the same. Uh, What I enjoyed is the start of this movie actually starts with, like, a crawl that's setting up the world they're in. Yeah. But the crawl is constantly being obscured by them panning over, like, a fake Londonscape. And so words are just, like, covered by pipes. So if you're not a very quick reader, you're not going to ever figure out what happened. What I really op- enjoy is the montage of uh, Phantom. Forget, yeah, the beginning, the beginning scene is, like, so insane and must have cost so much money but serves no point whatsoever to the movie that I could not figure out why somebody was just thought, hey, let's spend about 30 of our probably $100 million budget on this really pointless opening scene in which a tank just drives through a building that they actually had to build. It's not CGI. They really made a tank and just drove it through a bunch of bookshelves for some reason. It's so crazy. And you're like, well, this must be important. Oh, no, that tank never shows up again? Okay. It's like, it's so, it's just so bizarre. And I just, my favorite part of that whole scene, though, is when the cops are running and just hitting the tank with their batons. Yeah. I kept thinking, what's their end game? Like, what what do these guys think? They're like, maybe if we keep hitting it, it'll stop, I guess. I don't know. Quick side note. Are you aware that there was a guy that essentially did this in real life? No, a a guy drove a tank into a bank? There's actually, (laughs) it's it's worth looking up. I don't know what you can exactly Google besides homemade tank. I think that would be enough. But there was a guy in, like, it was in a remote area in, in in the United States, and he was, like, a disgruntled construction worker of some kind who constructed, he basically encased a tractor uh, or a huge like like construction you know tread machine in concrete and bullet like layered concrete and had like gun mounts and then just drove through a town like bulldozing down buildings um, until it got stuck in a building rubble and the and he eventually like I think killed himself inside the vehicle but like he just was unstoppable for like a day like he just drove through the town took out like five or seven five or seven buildings That's which is all I could think of was like oh wow this is a thing. Um, and it's all to, but in this case, it's all to acquire the blueprints to Venice for his ultimate plan to bomb Venice, which he essentially and sink it. Which I feel it, like, do you need the blueprints? Just put a bunch of bombs underneath of it. I'm sorry. To be clear, he wasn't just getting a blueprint. He was getting Leonardo da Vinci's original blueprints. Which is that even true? Did he even? I I'm not sure. I think those are just paintings he did. I don't think they're based on. The yeah. actual foundations. I don't think he did like a geological survey. Also, Venice is like balancing on a swamp. Like I think you could just yeah. I was gonna say it's basically falling apart on its own. Yeah. Um. So the opening gives us this montage of him uh, setting up some master plan that is ultimately kind of pathetic because if you were to box, if you were to slice out the fat in this movie, and there is a lot, listener. Um, the fat in this movie is ridiculous, but if you were to if you were to slice that out, all you'd be end up with is a plan in which he did a fake bomb or real bomb as like a fake act of war in Venice, which wouldn't make any sense because Venice has no military like reason. Like it's who would yeah. want to bomb Venice? Well, it was supposed to be because the world leaders were meeting there to discuss the possible right. world war. But I mean, the plot is basically he wants to start a world war. So that he can gather the League together, so he can steal what makes them the League, and then sell it to other governments for profit. That's the plot of the film. But it makes zero sense, because he has built like these technological marvels 
that might as well be powered by like Hydra and the Tesla to the Tesseract. Yeah, he's probably a could just sell those. Just because those would probably be way more, way more worth way more money than trying to gather the greatest heroes of all time. It's just absurd. He has impressive assault rifles. He's got Iron Man like er, like prototype Iron Man armor, walking around flamethrowers. He's he's able to construct massive factories that put out like multiple armored men and machine guns and he's like ready to go to war himself and probably be unstoppable but yeah he's got to get the invisible man's serum yeah it's it's crazy and the plot is like in is just so stupid the idea is it's like he oh he needs to get a skin sample from the invisible man and the blood from a vampire that's not how vampires work or is that how invisible skin would work first of all how are you gonna look at it it's invisible yeah. What are you going to learn from a sample of invisible skin? Sir, oh, yeah, under yeah. a microscope, and I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, sir. I did not think this through at all. I <laughs> I forgot the premise. The big problem is no one did. Moriarty is supposed to be this famed, unbeatably smart man who, who outwits Sherlock Holmes himself. And so the, to the point where when it seems like he would be failing, that was just part of his plan. But when his plan falls apart in that... His two shitty bombs don't blow up all of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And they show up. He just goes, oh, shit, and runs away. (laughs) Yeah, his plan is to run into, like, an irony-laced attic of this castle he's built that looks like it's supposed to be the attic from, like, a medieval castle, but they're in the middle of nowhere. So I don't know why he, like, moved all this furniture in and was like, ooh, I brought too much. Put it in the attic. It's storage. so weird. It makes he no has storage in his ice castle. Yeah. 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 It's so. And there's so many parts of this where you. I was just. I could not figure out what the director was thinking. But he's got no backup plan. No escape vessel. No alternative plan. No. No second anything. He just just runs away and like tries to like climbs through a crack in the wall and tries to make a break for it. Yeah. It does like a Batman jump down a cliff. That's to try to get up. into this uh, this submarine they stole, which they parked half a mile away from the base. They couldn't pop it up closer? Why is it so far away? Look, this poses no point in trying to go p- plot for plot on this one because it is a mess. Um, but t- talking about a couple of concepts real quick, I have to talk about Nemo. Um, he seemed only relevant in this movie because he had a really cool boat. Am I wrong? Yes. Uh, what I love is Nemo was somebody must have been like the year this movie came out was like, you guys remember Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Let's do that. And they were like, you know, he's not Chinese. He's Indian. They were like, eh, fuck it. Who cares? Technically, he's Asian, <laughs> so I'm not racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, still think you are. It's a subcontinent. Nope, nope, I'm not racist. It is, and this is a movie where... Uh, a thing that bothers me in movies is when people have guns and cannot hit anything, even though they're like three and a half feet away from whatever they're shooting at. This movie, Nemo just pulls a sword out and starts fighting a guy who has a machine gun, and at one point, I believe, starts like deflecting the bullets with his sword. It yeah, it absolutely seems that way. It is it is an insane uh, sort of turn of events. I mean, the original Captain Nemo is really cool, and he's got really cool inventions and stuff, but nowhere near, I think, what this movie pretends to suggest. I mean, he has sonar. He has, like, uh, uh, guided missiles. He yes, has... He, he's, he has created laser-guided missiles. He has an automobile, but not like a Model T, you know, where you're like, oh, they, he invented the automobile first. 
he has Wait, what no. is essentially like a, a straight up Rolls Royce from he like the nineties. From he has Red Skull's car. Yeah, exactly. It car. is. Oh my god. Oh man, we need to have a talk with the directors of Captain America. Same car. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It has the extra wheels, which are point. You were right. It is the exact same car. Which I think it even has a nitro in it. I'm not sure. It's it's insane, and it serves no purpose other than this really boring, like not even chase scene. There's just I don't know. Uh, it is crazy the way they depict Nemo in this. He's basically Tony Stark, but only for submarine-based technology. And my favorite part is that the made I- him sound cool. Actually, my favorite part though is the idea that all right, they gathered everyone together. Uh, the league, because he's going to take, and this is there was two things that I loved about Moriarty's plan. He wants nothing from Alan Quartermain. There's nothing he can get from Quartermain except for he was pretty sure Quartermain could catch uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. <laughs> That's it. He was just like, well, I need somebody to hunt this guy. Not get Quartermain. But then his plan to capture Nemo's tech is for Dorian Gray just to take photos of it. How the fuck is that helpful? <laughs> Like, if I take a picture of a computer, you can't rebuild it. You know? Like, if you have no idea yeah. how it's... It's, it's it's be like if somebody took a picture of a circuit board and then laid out all the raw components and was like, here, you build it, and just showed you the yeah. picture. It would be so worthless. But not even that, because I've seen a circuit board, and everything that's happening on Nemo's ship is otherworldly. He has... Also, also, one of the things he takes a picture of... Is the bridge, which they show, and it's just like a normal bridge of a boat. It just has, like, the wheels. That's it. There's nothing else there. Like, he took a picture of, like, any boat in the world and was like, here you guys go. I I just want a picture. I wish the movie ended with, like, M being, like, at a desk and just looking really exasperated and being like, all right, Dorian, you brought me invisible skin cells and a picture of a boat. And, instruments. and blood from a vampire, a, a race of things which only live by eating blood, not using it. It's like they, I don't think vampires have, you know, aren't they, don't they not have blood? Yeah. And that's why they have to drink it? It's because they, they don't have any? I don't know a lot, but I don't think you can create a vampire by just taking their blood. Dorian, I'm going to throw your goddamn painting in the fire. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, which who knows in this universe what would happen, because I, that was the other thing. There's so many, like, bizarre choices they made in this movie that make no sense. And one of them is the idea, Dorian, they, they when they show up at his house, there's, like, an open space on the wall. And it's, like, a pretty big open space in... Quartermain's like, you're missing a picture, and he's like, you don't miss anything. It's like, well, it, it's a big empty space on this wall full of paintings. But it's like at the top of the landing of the steps. If he can't look at it, why the fuck would he put it on the goddamn wall where he's always going to be walking? <laughs> like, he just happens to turn and catches it out of his periphery, and he's dead? It's insane! He also cares for this portrait in no way. Like, even though it's the only reason he's immortal... And it's his only weakness. He just has it, like, wrapped in some burlap at one yeah, point. It's insane. Like, like, why wouldn't he have put it in a safe somewhere and just been like, well, that's taken care of. <laughs> that would be like if someone came into, the like, the room with Superman and they'd be like, hey, what's this over here in this shopping bag, Superman? He goes, oh, it's just a big bag full of full of kryptonite. Don't, don't get that near me. <laughs> as long as I don't walk over in that corner of the room, which is really close to the refrigerator, I'm not going to lie to you, it wasn't my best decision. Or, but or it's there now. Best- I'm stuck shoddy, with it. Shoddy CVS bag full of kryptonite. Also, Boy, I, I, hope I don't I, knock that over. I just like love the idea of Dorian Gray trying to hang the painting without looking at it. And he's like, "Boy, I really hope this isn't crooked." You know, like his <laughs> eyes closed, trying to find the nail. 
I should hire a guy to tell me if it's crooked. I should really have, yeah, and I live in this bizarre loft that just has, like, 40-foot-tall bookshelves for no reason. Like, the building he lived in looks like it's in the slums of London, but then inside is, I don't know, this whole movie is set-designed to death. Whoever was the the prop master spent way too much time. Like I said, at the end, when they go up in the attic of this castle, and there's just, like, furniture stored up there, but it's supposed to be, like, a death factory in the middle of, like, Siberia? I don't understand why he brought extra furniture. And Dorian Gray has a room there, which he's decorated to look like his normal house. Like, how did he get decorators out there? Could you imagine there's, like, Sherpas carrying, like, an ornate uh, canopy bed and, uh, like, some throw rugs? Um, so, moving on, <laughs> we could talk about all these characters. So the interesting thing is, you were talking about Mina Harker earlier, the vampire in this film, who does almost nothing. <laughs> like No, no, she's pretty nothing. pointless, except for a scene they write in where she becomes a thing of bats and kills a bunch of people. Yeah, she appears, uh, all the men make fun of her for being a woman, she bites a guy, and they all go, whoa, oh, okay, vampire... Then she just sits in the back seat for a literal hour. A literal hour. What's insane is when she they see her, like, eating a man's neck, and then she turns around, and they're just like, oh, well, that was strange. You just watched a woman eat a person in front of you. Like, their reaction is so muted. It might as well have been like she just, like, lit a cigarette. They're just like, huh, oh, that's weird. Yeah. And then they go outside, and they're like, do you want to tell us what happened? And she does, like, a turn to camera and tells this, like, not- very good version of the dracula story right and then all of a sudden they're like well we got that done and nemo's like oh here's my boat did i mention that i'm like a super genius <laughs> it's crazy yeah and in the, they the, talk the, their characters at you for too long oh each character is just introduced by them telling you who they are and what they do and that that is a that is a theme that persists because every time we go to a new location they have to scrawl the text to you which drives me insane because that is helpful now in like a TV show where you go to like Houston and they they pan over the city and you're like you couldn't tell that was Houston so they tell you it's Houston you know what I mean yeah but, but they say we're going to Venice and then they cut to a guy in a canal and they go hey Venice and they write it on the screen I'm like I got it all right <laughs> yeah it was crazy they would like introduce where they were going and then be like just in case you forgot one and a half seconds ago here you go. And just you know that we're not at Epcot, we're in the Venice Canals, which apparently are deep enough for the world's largest submarine. They are not deep. Do you know the thing where the guy uses the stick? Do you know why he uses the stick? Because he can reach the bottom, goddammit. Oh, it is it is insane when they show that boat coming through, because when it comes up the first time when they're in London, it appears to be the height of, like, the London Bridge. It's, 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 it's like, a good 70 it's, feet in the air. Or... It's 20 stories. It's yeah. Insane. And, and then just, he's just coasting through Venice, apparently unnoticed. <laughs> also, that's not like, yeah, I mean, it, it's insane as if you would just be like, yeah, you can take a submarine anywhere. No, that's not how submarines work. He scrapes the bridge and someone's like, oh, I guess we gotta stop all the way in the middle of the city somehow. <laughs> it is insane. And what... This is something, again, where I was talking about weird choices they made. I never realized it until this time I was watching it. Uh, The Phantom is here, and they're driving because they're going to try to stop Venice from sinking by blowing up a building in front, which would, for some reason, stop bombs from exploding. I didn't understand that. But as they're driving by, uh, Quartermain sees that the Phantom is there, and he jumps out of the car. Why the fuck is the Phantom in a city he knows he's trying to sink? 
This is his plan. Why did he show up? And then has to run away because the city's sinking. Why? I was like, wait. That would be that would be like the American president's landing in Hiroshima and be like, well, let's hope this turns out well. Like, why was why were they there? This, it made no sense. The Venice scene is incredible because it covers well. You already covered it in that it's one of the more boring action scenes because this movie up to this point is is a lot like the uh, uh, Batman uh, Forever. Is that the second Batman movie that we covered? The yeah. Original? Yeah. No, Batman Returns. Batman Returns. It reminds me of Batman Returns because in that one, Batman spends most of his time in a vehicle, which is the most boring way to portray Batman, right? Yeah. The same thing's happening here. They get in this fucking boat, and they're in it for two acts. They're in this boat for most of the movie. And then they get off the boat, and before they take ten feet, it's a car chase movie. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Stop getting in vehicles. It's boring. And they spend the entire time in this boring car chase where Tom Sawyer apparently is an expert of a thing he's never encountered before. Oh, and yeah. Like, they're driving a car as if everybody owns a car. He drives it, like, fast in the fear. I mean, he ramps shit. He takes drift turns. He dodges rubble. And he, like, and he, he drives through Venice not known for its useful roads. <laughs> yeah, it's – I don't – the whole thing is um, – yeah, yeah. Also, a city that is famed for not having streets. Yeah, it definitely has <laughs> goddamn streets. Um, and but this whole sequence, everyone fails. Like you pointed out, M or whatever Phantom triggers bombs that he seems to be himself surprised about, uh, and then has to run away from. They the bombs go off like all like a lot of them. Like the sequence. I mean, when they pan down to show the bombs, when we say bombs, I'm not saying there's like ten of them. It literally looks like they have replaced the entire bottom of the swamp with bombs and, like, barrel cartoon bombs. There must be – when they span down, it, there's, like, a good 50,000 of them down there. It's so insane that you would be like, how did they get them down there? And, when and if the, there's that many of them, what the fuck do they need the blueprints for? They won. When the league gets there, they go off. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, well, that sucks. That That's the end of it. And then the bombs go off and keep going off. For 20 minutes. They keep oh. blowing up district by district over and over. And until, the, until the resolution is that the League bombs more of Venice. And then they go, we did it. We stopped the bombs with additional missiles and bombs. And I'm like, at this point, everyone's dead. You killed the entire celebration. You definitely killed all the leaders. I mean, you failed. That's what's crazy. Is <laughs> M's plan is to blow up the leaders of the world who are meeting in Venice. Why didn't he just set those bombs off first? I don't I'm know. solved. I only need to blow up the building they're in. I don't even need the blueprints. I'll just put the fucking bombs in the building. I ever read about Guy Fox. I don't need anything else, you know? It's just crazy. The plot of this movie, the like, as I was watching it, and really, like, sort of with, like, a critical eye, I was like, wait, this fucking movie makes no goddamn sense. There's not one coherent plot point from start to finish. No. It was crazy. And speaking of uh, – of, we weren't speaking of it at all, but when you were talking about how the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books sort of uh, – you know, the, the, their references to literary works kind of started to become too dense, this movie, in I guess an attempt to mirror that, like throws in some of the most bizarre and just shoehorned in references to literary works that it's just insane. Like um, when, Ish, when the, the, the Nautilus car pulls up, and he's like, this is my first mate. And the guy's like, call me Ishmael, which is, you know, the first mate of right. the, in Moby Dick. 
but the one that is worse is when uh, Quartermain first shows up in New York and he or London and he gets out of the car and he the guy says something about we made good time and he said not as good as Hackney or not as good as whoever around the world in eighty days it's like well, you can't reference the name of the book like you know what I mean that would be like he's like hi my name's Ishmael I was in Moby Dick. <laughs> I was just like, wait, that's not how references work. You don't name the thing you're referencing by its title. It was so crazy. That whole, the whole like introduction of Quartermain, M, Nemo, and the Invisible Man was like just some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in a film. It was so unnatural and so bad. Uh, you want to talk bad dialogue? I will talk bad dialogue, and I will nail it for you out of the park. Because that answer is goddamn Dorian Gray once he becomes evil. So Dorian, oh. Dorian Gray is useless in the early parts of this movie. He's just invincible. He's not very cool or interesting. I'll tell you what he, what he is good for, though. In the scene where they introduce him and M's henchmen show up and start killing him, one of them rips the entire front off of his suit and we see his body heal. And then the very next shot, he is in an identical suit. So what he's good for is having a closet full of identical suits. It was like a like a car. Like it was like Bart Simpson. I, I couldn't figure out why he only had the one suit. It's so crazy. He rips it off. There's like a shot of Tom Sawyer. They cut back, and Dorian Gray is just walking down a staircase in the exact same suit. It was so insane. The best scene in this movie, though, is when they make the big reveal in which they play a record. I'm not kidding, by the way. They play a wax cylinder or, or not a cylinder no no wax. no they play they play a legit wax, record which wax i do record. not think was made but i don't think records i think no. they were still using cylinders back then they, they kick this record off that they just someone just finds basically someone finds a ticking box that has the record in it and they run it up to nemo like hey i found this ticking box i brought it here to you captain why don't you figure it out and here in this in our in our war room which just happens to have like a victrola in it yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I guess just on a submarine, yeah. just in case. Just in case you want, you want to. Also, for some reason, the entire Nautilus is just white. Everything's white. The floors, the walls, the ceilings, the chairs. There is not a like a non-white piece of furniture except for this fucking record player, which is for some reason just like an ordinary record player. But he puts but it, this record, which is so weird because they cut to a black and white video. Yes, that Mor- was Moriarty. insane. It's a black and white video of Moriarty and the now revealed Dorian Gray as a villain. Um, and it's it's like a black and white video of like when they show old time like newsreels where it like jumps and there's like mar- like you know like film marks on it and stuff. But it makes no sense because it's not a film; it's a record. They're, they're why does why isn't it just in black and white? Why am I just not seeing the way it was? Why is it? set to look like an old-timey movie. He does the Bond trope where he tells you every single thing. He tells you the whole plan, front to back. He tells you every detail about his plan, which is senseless. Just utterly senseless. My favorite part is, so this is Dorian and Moriarty sitting in a room recording this, and when he reveals that he's there with Dorian, Dorian just says, growl. No, he said, I came amongst you like a wolf. He said, I sent my spy among you like a wolf among sheeps. And then he just goes, growl. He becomes like a drag queen for like 30 seconds in that reveal. And he's like like doing like... uh, He has a bunch of lines that are real sassy. And he's like sniffing whatever that snuff at one one point in the black. It's just crazy. And then, all right, he's setting up that Dorian was a spy and that something is wrong. Mr. Hyde 
or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they can see each other when they're in each other's bodies. Like, they can see in reflections they look like the other one. And Mr. Hyde's like, turn it off. So you think he would know there was something wrong. They let this thing play, and then the guy's like, but already, you're already destroyed, because I've placed bombs. And he talks for another 30 seconds before Nemo's like, wait, hold on, did he just say there's bombs at this record? Like, why did he let it keep playing? As soon as they found out, like, as soon as they found out the plan, and that Dorian Gray was the bad guy, why why didn't you just stop it and be like, well, that fucking sucks? Uh, But the best part about Dorian's new villain persona, which he drapes on, like, molasses, I mean, it is aggressive is uh, later in the third act, he fights um, he fights Mina. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. It's so bad. He fights Mina in, a, in, a, in what could have been an amusing fight because they both stab each other and they're both like, and they both heal and they're both like, well, this is going to take a while. Um, he stabs her in what he thinks is her heart. He thinks he's got her in the heart and he says, he says, my fi- I wish I, I got to remember the exact line, but I don't remember it precisely, but he says something to the effect of, well, I thought I was going to nail you one last time. He said, I, I, ho- I had hoped that I would have the chance to nail you and one he, last time. And then he smiles, and he goes to walk away, and then he turns back and says something like, but, you know, not, like, killing you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like, I'm going to finish it in case you didn't get it. Which, and it's insane, because the pun doesn't work. He neither nailed her, nailed her nor, nor is that an expression from the 1800s. Yeah, he should have been, like, there was a lot at stake, you know? Because he, like, Boom. sort of nailed staked it. her. See? They should have called us in to punch it up, man. Come on! But he says, I thought I was going to nail you one last time. And then just this pause and walk away. He's like, you know, not like fucking, but, like, with the knife that I stabbed you with. Anyway, I'm Well, see, what I meant was, I thought we would fuck, dead. but <laughs> in the end, what I really did was nail you. Not literally, because this is a cane sword, not a nail, but you get the basic premise I'm trying to go with. You're dead, aren't you? Never mind. Uh, yeah, it's... It, his whole thing is... Everything he says after he becomes a villain, you're right, is... The worst. Just ridiculous and dumb, and... His character's, like, all over the place, because they imply that the only reason he sided with Moriarty is because Moriarty stole his painting... But then it just seems like he's just a bad guy regardless. So I don't know why Moriarty had to take the painting. Uh, I'll tell you another great joke that landed super well was when they run into Mr. Hyde and they capture him and he falls off the roof and gets pulled into the Nautilus. uh, or That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Tom Sawyer picks up his hat. Like, am I supposed to believe that a monster like Mr. Hyde went somewhere and had a tailor-made giant hat? Because yeah. he has, like, a giant top hat that's so big, it looks like Tom Sawyer could wear it as a shirt. Like, he could hide inside of it. It's, I, was just, I could not believe, in my mind, I just wanted a scene where Mr. Hyde's in a store, this, like, eight-foot-tall monster man, and he's like, I just need a top hat to really pull this outfit together. Yeah, it also means that that uh, uh, Jekyll keeps a bunch of these big hats around. Yeah, he has a wardrobe of, like, overseas. into hide mode. Which is confusing because it appears that he, I mean, like the story, just can consume the the liquid and become, uh, uh, you know, hide. Um, yeah, which is which removed is not- in the in the comics. The idea is he's taken it so much he can't control it anymore. He just sometimes becomes yeah hide, and he doesn't want to. Which is bad. It, it, in this movie, the idea is he can just not take the potion. He could just throw all the potions in the ocean and never be hide again. Yeah. Problem solved. Um, but, so I have, this ha- this, this leads us to immediately consider, uh, the, uh, perhaps a final topic, which is 
the effects in this movie are all over the place. At times, they're extremely impressive. The sets, especially, are yeah, the, the, they must have spent all of their money on sets. Like you were making none of it on writing. Yeah, none of it on editing. The Nautilus is absurd, but it's gorgeous, and every every building they smash down, and all of it. Looks I was gonna good. say, like I said, that opening scene with the tank is absurd. They built three or four buildings just to drive a tank through them. The practical effect serves no purpose to the movie. Yeah, that you take that scene out, doesn't change anything really. The practical it could have been, effects yeah. are pretty strong, more or less across the board. But the the the, vi- the visual effects, the digital effects, are nightmarish. They are they are not great. They are bad. Like um, Doc, uh, J- Jekyll is like, or Jekyll and Hyde is mostly practical, but at times he's CGI'd, and it's. I mean, it's goofy. It's claymation. It's rough. Yeah, it is. Even the practical effects, it's clear that it's just a man in, like, a suit with overly long arms that are just styrofoam. Like, it doesn't look like a... It doesn't look like he has skin. It looks like he's wearing a styrofoam suit. He looks like somebody cosplaying as the Left 4 Dead tank and and is really uncomfortable. Yes. And was just... Doesn't understand how airbrushing works to sort of make skin... Have a skin tone... Yeah, and this, what, is, this is 2003. And this uh, is a film. That's the important thing to remember is this is a motion picture yeah. that cost millions of dollars. They could have brought in Stan Winston. Now, the thing, though, is you you think, boy, that hide is not great. You know, it's not a, a well-done effect. They could have done better. Until a scene where a guy drinks, like, half a gallon of Hyde's potion and turns into a oh boy. CGI hide, and you're like, never mind, they nailed it with the other one. Because this CGI hide looks like a plastic toy. He looks so unnatural. He doesn't fit into the scenes. It's it's so awful looking. It's just insane. Like, from top to bottom, it, it is... The effects... Like, any CGI effect looks really, really rough. I guess The Invisible Man isn't bad. That's CGI. It's not great. But it's, you know, it's not bad. Yeah, I... I... There's an action figure, I believe, of of that of that version of Hyde, and it's it's rough. I mean, it looks like something out of like Resident Evil, and then made by like whoever is the worst the worst CGI company out there. I don't know. It looks like someone from uh one of the early World of Warcraft CGI intros took a stab at a Resident Evil monster. Is what it looks like. It looks like that, when I tried to. Does that make sense? It looked like when I tried to do 3D sculpting using a computer. It's not great, all right? <laughs> That's what it looks like. It's somebody who's not sure how to make something trying their best, though. It, it is crazy. His effect is a hard sell to begin with to, to try to make him fit in. But then to do it not well and then have him just keep appearing is weird. And like the scenes where he transforms I also thought were weird. Because they had to build, like, five different prosthetics to put this dude in for ten seconds worth of films to show him turning into and out of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But it wasn't impressive. It was just jump cuts. So, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a, like a cool-looking morph, like when uh, the Incredible Hulk turns into the Hulk and you see, like, all of his muscles grow and he rips out of his clothes. It's basically, like, as if they showed him being slightly bigger. And then the screen flashes, and now he's slightly bigger. And then the screen flashes, and now his clothes are gone. You're... That's it, now he's the Hulk. It was such a weird... And the first time he does it, it goes on for like a minute. And it's really boring to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's aggressively boring. 
It is shocking. Uh, and they, they do it a couple of times, including like underwater, and then again, I, I don't know, they really spend a lot of time trying to show you it. Um, can I complain about how many invisible fight scenes are in here, and how none of them are at once interesting ever? Yes, because you know what does not make a fight scene interesting? When you can only see half of it. <laughs> exactly. And you know what's really hard to do? Is to pantomime fighting when there's no one in front of you, because all it looks like you're doing is headbanging. Like, it looks like you're yeah. just really bad at headbanging. There is at least six invisible fight scenes. Not one of them is good. And at one point, I, the invisible man gets, like, doused in flame. And they show him and his skin's all burned and you can see his burned skin. Doesn't make any sense. But then, at the end, he's perfectly fine. He As is. if nothing happened. Oh, yeah, they right. show him at the end at the funeral. Yeah, which could, I mean, they must have waited two years to do that funeral. They, they just or who knows, I guess maybe Nemo has some sort of you know, skin graft. Half-burned, like, man, to the hospital. And like, can you fix this? <laughs> fix They're it. like, um, we, is why is he? <laughs> no, we can't. What um, the fuck is this? To tie it down, the movie ends with the stupidest conclusion I have ever seen. So, you know in, like, a movie or a television show, like Firefly or something, where they kill, like, a character that's beloved and they have a funeral and it's touching and moving because that character is dead in this franchise? This movie, like, decides to do that, decides to kill Sean Connery, and then an unrelated witch doctor revives him in the world. What's insane is, all right, Let's let's talk for a minute about Quartermain let's because his 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 introduction is he's in like some sort of British plantation in Africa where he they imply that people just like travel to Africa to try to talk to Alan Quartermain. That's a hell of a journey just to hear some boring ass stories from an old guy. I mean that's insane. It's not like he's in the middle of London and he's like, oh, I don't like it when people come to talk to me. It's the idea that thousands of people are showing up to try to talk to him i thought was weird but we're introduced to him he doesn't like the british empire whatever they blow up this building there's a great scene too where he goes to shoot the guy and he's really far away and he has to put on glasses but the glasses he puts on are reading glasses which only help you see up close yeah and he needs them to be a sniper that's just lazy so at the end of the movie he gets stabbed in the back by moriarty he has to try to shoot him but his glasses are broken so he can't do it so Tom Sawyer shoots him, shoots Moriarty, and Moriarty dies and drops his case full of invisible skin samples. Yeah, uh, his superpower, like, vampire gift, blood. Gift bag that he's got. Yeah, his, what do they call those things, like an electronic press kit, an EPK yeah. that he was going to hand out, his tchotchkes. Um, and so they, they, he drops it into the ocean, whatever, and that's how... You know, they're like, they won, and he turns around, and Quartermain's dying. But it's, like, sort of vague whether or not he's dying or if he's just falling unconscious. Because he carries on a conversation as if nothing's really wrong and then just closes his eyes. So we find out that he has been buried in Africa next to his son. And at the beginning of the – at some point in the earlier part of the movie, Tom Sawyer says, is it true – or maybe the guy who comes to find him. Somebody says, is it true that you – that?" you can't be killed. And he said, a witch doctor did bless me and said, Africa would never let me die. And you're like, wow, what a weird line just to include in this movie until he dies. And you're like, oh, I got that. But this movie ends like very similarly to Batman vs Superman in which Superman is dead. They bury him. Batman and Wonder Woman come to the funeral and are talking and are basically like, you know, 
we'll still we're we're gonna we're gonna join forces, which is like how this movie ends is Nemo's like, I wanna travel the world. Who wants to come with me? And they're all like, Yeah, I will and then they walk away and in the end of Batman vs Superman they show the dirt that has been poured on top of the casket and it starts to like shake and like levitate and it's the same way this movie ends. I just thought it was crazy. I was like, wow, two not great movies using the same boring effect to show a person coming back to life. Yeah, and it, it, it seems strange because the witch doctor, who is just sort of off in the distance, being weird. Oh yeah, he's not like there is like they don't this they, is... they don't talk to the witch doctor and like be like could it be he comes back and he says something mystic? No, like they're having a funeral and there's just a dude in the background just like waggling at the sky and you're like oh, that's what that's odd. And he looks less like a witch doctor and more like. Some sort of aboriginal character that would be in a Mad Max movie. Yeah, he, like, he doesn't insane. look like a witch doctor. He looks just like this crazy hippie sort of dude who's just starting a brush fire. Because he has like a fire going in the middle of tall grass, which is not safe. Ew. And then he just sort of walks up to the tomb and starts doing like a little dance. And the earth starts shaking. And that's how the movie ends. And you're sort of like, how dare you? How dare you try to set up a sequel? You know what would bother me? Uh, if I was Alan Quartermain and I knew that that some sort of uh, uh, voodoo magic would revive me so that I would never die, um, and then I died, and that same person who promised to bring me back, let me be Barry! Yeah. Don't let the whole Barry thing happen. I don't want to wake up in a coffin and then have to punch my way out. I'm just a guy. Like I that's not a that. that's not a great way to come back to life. Is to be like, oh my god, I'm alive. Holy shit, where am I? Oh no, because that vibration at the end didn't feel like oh he's back. It felt like he's in there and he's freaking out. <laughs> yeah, like a real like Edgar Allan Poe sort of story. Just... A real sober, angry Sean Connery is in that coffin right now. <laughs> Trying to punch his way out like he's Uma Thurman and kill Bill. <laughs> yeah, that would be, like, literally the worst way to wake up and realize that you have been brought back to life. Is to be like, oh, now I can suffocate to death in this tomb. But because we just spent uh, approximately an hour trashing this movie, I want to wrap up by saying uh, I strangely did not hate myself watching this movie. Um, no, it, it's not as bad. We've definitely watched worse. Like I said before, the practical effects are perfectly on point. The, the CGI is... On a spectrum, it goes back and forth, uh, but it tends to be more on the bad side. But at, at points, it's fine. Ignoring some of the boring chase sequences, most of like the hand-to-hand fight sequences are pretty fucking solid. Um, the villains are interesting. I mean, not the villains, but the henchmen and stuff have sort of interesting kind of outfits. There's a couple of set pieces in actual outfits. Like if you like looking at clothes, it's not a bad movie. <laughs> There's a, a number of set pieces and actual like sets that are super impressive. There's some. I, I want to ask you about this. There's some performances that I thought were pretty good. Sean Connery is just doing Sean Connery. I mean, that's that's up to you if you like it or not. Which, which is fine. Which, He's fine. Yeah. As, I thought he did fine. It's a shame that this is the last movie he was in. I thought Jekyll was pretty good. Yeah, he does good. I like that. That guy's a good actor. But definitely, uh, he definitely the, conveyed that like sense of like uh, uh, Bruce Banner like like. Um, uh, uh, combat and like internal like struggle with like, yeah, this other the, form. The it problem works. is every character has maybe five minutes in which their like story is developed, and three of those minutes are them looking at the camera telling you their backstory. Yes, like there's like this little thing where it's supposed to be like he's attracted to Mina Harker, and you know Mr. Hyde's like she'll never look at you. She looked at me, whatever, blah blah blah. 
And you're like, oh, that'll be interesting. Is it going to be like a lo-? Nope, that's never brought up again. That's just for that one shot, that's it. And there's multiple times where you think there's going to be something like uh, Tom Sawyer asking Quartermain about, did you teach your sh- son how to shoot like this? And Quartermain walks away. He never goes to him and does, you know, I mean, it's just sort of just kind of like throwaway lines. And that's what's weird is it's like an ensemble movie in which they were just like, they just decided not to do anything with the ensemble. You know, it's like, it'd be like an Avengers movie where it just starts and Captain America's like, I love America. And Iron Man's like, boy, I'm, I'm a billionaire who makes robot suits. I'm the Hulk. All right, let's start fighting stuff. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah, they wrote the first half of a bunch of background stories and then just decided not to finish any of them. And then what's crazy, though, is this movie is long, and so you just wonder, you realize that they filled this movie with nothing. There is no, like, that's the thing. I will say, this would be a movie I would recommend if you like bad movies and you like making fun of them. It would be fun to watch with people, because I've had fun watching it with people and making jokes and, you know, obviously making jokes with you right now. So I would say it it, it works in that level. It's not, say, like an AVP where I just... I can't even be like, let's watch that as a joke, because, you know, it's like a lark. It's just so bad. This, I at least see some value in it. And like you said, it's not the worst that we've seen. It does die in the middle, but... Yeah, it finds competency in small moments, both, like I said, with some of the performances when they have a chance to, to be shown, and the effects, and the fighting is, is fucking solid. And it its biggest problem is, this is weird, because we always are wrestling, this is sort of the, the eternal question of this podcast, is, is, is it better to stick 100%, like, or at least close to 100% to the comic, or is it better to adapt? And in this case... It wasn't better to adapt because the small changes they made to every character worsened them as characters. Like you said. Yeah, I think the issue was in state, they kept the basic plot, but then were like, all right, let's get rid of this stupid floating metal and let's include uh, Dorian Gray and Tom Sawyer and we'll just make that a movie. And it's about a world war. Like, they took out stuff and put in just nothing in its place. And so by introducing extra characters you don't need, you suddenly lose the amount of time you have to like write interesting things for the characters you do have. So I think if they had stayed slightly closer, even if they wanted to change Moriarty's goal, it's also insane that Moriarty is like a he's like a thirty five year old man. Like he I don't think you know in, in the Sherlock Holmes books, he's he's an old man. He's not a young gentleman. He's like in his late forties in the Sherlock Holmes books. Yeah, but, yeah, and you would expect him to be like older in this because yeah, and, and in the comics, he's very old. Yeah, super weird. So it is crazy. The stuff they changed so, did not, like you said, it, it made it worse instead of better. Yeah, and that was the big mistake. And that's not to say that you can't adapt a comic to make it work. We've learned that that's possible. It's possible to take in, in, intelligently take pieces and make a new recipe. But this wasn't that. They took the wrong parts. Yes, yeah, they took the wrong parts. and then Like, they took the characters, and then they took nothing about them. So you lost, like, the interestingness right. of each character. And then they Hollywooded the shit out of it. And they poochied it up, they man. They poochied it up. Uh, the poochie is an incredible term. And it was so bad that it killed two careers. Uh, Stephen Norrington, the director of this movie, ceased directing after this forever. And Sean Connery, wow. obviously, famously, stopped doing uh, acting and has only done voice work since this film in 2003. Um, Stephen Norrington only actually directed Blade before this, so it wasn't like an illustrious career with snuff short. Yeah, but Blade's like a good movie. It is a good movie. I'm excited to do Blade. 
Although, this will probably be one of those times where I'm like, it's a good movie, and then we watch it, and I'm like, god damn it, why I did I say that on tape? <laughs> Some motherfuckers are always trying to skate uphill. That's a line from that movie. <laughs> really? I do not remember the movie that well. It could be Blade You got me there. But that's definitely a line from one of the movies, and it's my favorite line in cinema. Oh, all right. Well, was there anything else you wanted to uh, to talk about about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? No, I think we walked you through it. So um, this podcast is uh, literally shorter than the movie um, by an hour. So you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> this would probably be a better use. We talk about all the key points you need. Uh, yeah, there's, there's not much. Uh, I was just looking over my notes real quick. There was one thing, which was I apparently had a run on people's hats, and I pointed out the Invisible Man's hat looks like the Spiver's spy hats from the old Mad comics. I don't know why I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, so would you recommend people watch it? Um, you know what? I would. I would say it, it wouldn't hurt. Uh, uh Give give it a watch uh, if, if it's if it's kind of the kind of movie where if it's on TV if it's on Netflix if it was around and it was on I think it's actiony and just barely too long that it's worth a watch I think so if you're a say... diehard fan of the comic and you're looking for more of that don't new no. uh, I would say watch it if you're looking for a movie to like while you do something else you know like a background movie. Or if you're going to watch it with people. I, I don't think it's a solid watch to sit down and just be like, I'm going to watch this movie and really enjoy it. I don't think that's going to work out for you. But, you know, if, if it's in the background while you're, you know, folding the laundry or something, or you've got some friends over and you're going to drink some terribly bitter beer from Chicago, you know, that'll that'll work out. I think that'd be a good move. <laughs> yeah, down this Malort shot, it's nowhere near as bad as you think. All right, yeah, I think it's it's a great analogy from two people who know nothing about alcohol, uh, other than the fact that we don't like it. Uh, I think that'll be it then. Uh, you can post your comments if you have something you'd like to say about the, the quality, which is this film. Uh, post them at Facebook at facebook.com slash naospod. Leave us comments, uh, corrections. According, I don't know if this is true. I did not try to fact check this. I saw Todd from Basement Fodder, who was a guest on our Barbed Wire episode. He told me that Sean Connery turned down the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Yes, that is true. And took this role instead. Uh, that may not be super accurate because I think this came out. Um, no, no, this movie came out uh, after that. The first, this one came around the same time as the second. Okay, I was gonna say, I was like, that's insane. But what he's but, saying is almost true. Is that Sean Connery was come to, uh, his directors came to Sean Connery for the Matrix, the original Matrix for I'm not sure what role. Um, Morpheus. Uh, Morpheus, and then another movie that I can't recall, and also Lord of the Rings. And he, he, uh, Sean Connery famously said that he read the scripts for those, didn't quote unquote get it, and passed. So when they passed him this movie and he read it and felt that same vibe, he was like, "Well, I might as well do it this time," which is just a terrible way to make your decisions. Well, and this is what I found insane is, all right, I can get reading The Matrix and being like, I don't get it, so I don't want to do it because I don't think the movie's going to work. I get that because that's a weird movie. But, like, to read Lord of the Rings and be like, mm, I just don't know. But what's crazy is this is Sean Connery, the man who is in Zardoz, which is a movie about a barbarian <laughs> race of people who just rape women and are given guns by a gigantic floating head. So I don't know. I, I, how did he read that script and be like, I'm down. I get yeah, everything here. That is the most fantastic point uh, that could be made is, is considering what he has already done. 
how could that possibly be a reason yeah, a for a film in which he basically is wearing a red diaper for the entire movie yeah and he he read the matrix he was like don't get it don't just can't that. figure this where's the floating head with guns in its mouth he read lord of the rings the considered to be the grandfather the grandfather novel of modern fantasy that is revered and reiterated in every edition of uh, every fantasy story that's ever been told he's like i don't get it it's just yeah it's just one of the most it's just the hero's journey yeah <laughs> it's one it. of the most straightforward <laughs> stories you could read it's pretty guy. there's a bad guy there's a thing we can do to stop him we should do it it's going to be troublesome but we'll get it done because we're heroes. I, I don't get it. You're right, because you could get reading The Matrix where it's like, oh yeah, there's we live in a fake reality that machines made, but there's a real, real reality that's where you really are, but you're also in the fake reality. I mean, I could get being like... Yeah, I could see, especially stuff? at the time that movie came out. Yeah. yeah. But I just can't imagine somebody seeing, especially somebody from the UK being like, don't get Lord of the Rings. Just a real tough, confusing read. Well, this is I'm trying to read it to him. It's like, all right, there's a hero character. I am out. <laughs> you're crazy. a, you're a magician. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't believe in magicians. <laughs> I'm gonna go smack my wife for giving me this uh, screenplay. When is Sardos <laughs> two coming out? <laughs> God, I. If only, if only that could happen. Well, I'm just waiting for the Hollywood remake remake machine to get to Zardoz one day. I would if you if you have not seen Zardoz, listeners. I recommend that is a, a, a spectacular, just terribly bad movie to watch and just marvel at the fact someone filmed it. And the best is if you listen to the director's commentary, at one point he's like, boy, this movie's long. I should have cut most of this out. <laughs> it's, so, it's always good when the director, when rewatching his own work, is like, ooh, this wasn't very good. <laughs> but there's, there's plenty of podcasts who can tell you all about what Zardoz is about <laughs> With that said, I think we're all tied up on uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Or as the poster said, LXG? Uh, yeah, I didn't get... <laughs> In some sort there's... of WWE font? Oh, the worst. The worst. Makes play, no sense. Play the outro music. Play it. I'm done. We don't, we don't have outro music. Actually, we do have outro music now. Like, I, how do I not know? I'm the one who edits the podcast. I have no idea. Uh, so... All right, well... We'll see you next week for a mini episode where we'll tell you the next movie up. And until then, we'll see you later. I feel like I nailed that episode. But not like nailed it as in fucked it or like stabbed it in the heart. I meant like figuratively. <laughs>